Hello and welcome to episode five of the Sustainable E-Commerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build your brand sustainably. Today's show is the second part of our mini-series on email campaigns for e-commerce. Back in episode three, we covered off four critical campaigns that you should be rolling out for your e-commerce brand. So if you haven't already listened to that, I highly recommend going back to that show and listening now. Today, we pick up where we left off and look at six more additional campaigns that you need to build out in your overall email strategy. But we also take a more concerted look at the carbon footprint of email marketing, and we go into more detail about some of the changes that you can make to both improve the performance of your campaigns, as well as reduce the carbon footprint of your overall email marketing strategy. So with that, let's start the show. Okay, now before we get into the additional campaigns for e-commerce, I do want to take a moment to expand on a topic that we just touched on in the last show, which was, of course, the carbon impact of email marketing. One of the things that we enjoy as direct-to-consumer online brands is, of course, building digital relationships with our customers. And if you're implementing the 10 strategies that I'm suggesting in this mini-series, Obviously, email is going to be a big part of that. As brands with a sustainability mindset, we do need to recognize that there is, in fact, a measurable carbon footprint from email marketing. And to give you a bit of an idea, back in 2011, Mike Berners-Lee, brother of the famous Tim Berners-Lee, who invented the Internet, conducted a kind of landmark study which was published in a book called How Bad Are Bananas, in which he looked at the carbon footprint of, well, pretty much everything. One of those things, of course, was emails. And he estimated that about four grams of carbon dioxide equivalent was generated for every single standard email sent, with content-rich emails, including lots of images and maybe some attachments, potentially generating about 50 grams of carbon dioxide. Whilst that might not seem very much on an individual email basis, when you think about aggregating that over your entire email strategy over the course of a year, particularly if you have a very large email database and a very active email strategy, you can see how that can build up. And to give you a kind of tangible idea, we recently conducted a carbon footprint audit for one of our clients, and we benchmarked their 2021 footprint at just over 1,000 tonnes of carbon dioxide from their email marketing. Now, if you haven't given any thought to the carbon footprint of email marketing in the past, you're probably wondering how on earth sending an email generates carbon dioxide. Well, the answer, of course, is the power generation required to send that out. So it takes power to run the servers that host your email. It takes power to store the email data. It takes power to transfer the data to the user's inbox. And of course, ultimately, power for the consumer to actually download and read that content. Now, the initial estimates that Mike Berners-Lee produced back in 2011 are no doubt an overestimation in the world of 2022, not least because data centers, including Google's mail centers, increasingly run on green energy. His new book, the new version, will actually be out in June this year, and I'll be keen to update you then. But there are some things that you can do to minimize your carbon footprint even now. So the first thing to look at, of course, is that the more data you send, 
the higher the carbon footprint will be. And by far, the biggest multiplier of data in an email is image content and attachments. So let me give you three quick tips on that front. The first, consider if you really need to include an image. It can be tempting to make your emails look sexy. And of course, for many people, images do speak a thousand words. But consider whether each image is really necessary. Does it actually add to the message or is it just a filler? If you are going to use images, then make sure that you compress your images properly. If you're including photos, for example, even photos taken from your iPhone can be over four megabytes in size and an extremely high quality. And that's especially true if you're using a photographer with a professional photo shoot, you then want to include some of that content in your email marketing. So it's important to use a compression tool to actually squash down the size of that image and really want to aim for no more than about 50K, 50 to 100K in size. If you add all that up, if you're including three or four images in an email, and of course, multiply that by 100,000 subscribers, you can clearly see how much data reduction that's going to translate into carbon footprint reduction. With regards to the use of attachments, there are a number of reasons why you might want to include an attachment in your email campaign. That might be you're sending out a gift guide, perhaps it's a lead magnet, or perhaps it's a user manual or, or something similar. So instead of actually attaching that to the email you're sending out, upload it to your website and embed a link in the email instead so they can get it that way. And there's a number of reasons for that. The first one is that the majority of the carbon budget related to attachments is in actually sending that to the user's inbox regardless of whether they open it. And since most people won't, in fact, maybe open your email, most people won't download that attachment, even if they do open your email, attaching it means you're burning all that carbon for no real reason. Including a link to download it means that only the people that actually actively want that thing are going to be leveraging that carbon budget. And you're also, of course, encouraging engagement in the email by asking them to click the link to get the download, which is sending all the right signals to the ESP. So by reducing the size of your images and changing the strategy from embedded attachments into links, you're actually going to be able to improve your campaign performance, partly because the emails are faster to download and therefore more people are likely to read them, but also because more of the email service providers will actually deliver your email into the user's inbox without the attachment. Now, the next thing I'm going to talk about was something I touched on when we talked earlier about cart saver campaigns. Rather than using email, particularly for things like time-sensitive communications, you might be better off considering SMS. Aside from the improved campaign performance that's likely to come from SMS marketing, SMS actually uses old-school telephony, not internet protocol, which means that you can send something like 350 to 2,000 SMS messages for the same carbon footprint as a single standard email. SMS isn't going to work for all of your email campaigns. It's a very short-form format, so you can't use it for everything. But consider how you might exchange out some of your time-sensitive things like promotion campaigns, cart savers, and so on for the SMS medium, which is going to get a much higher open rate and have a reduced impact or reducing impact on your carbon footprint. Looking holistically at your email list, though, it is a critical asset for your business. And implementing the campaign strategies I'm outlining in this series will bear fruit. But like any fruit tree, it does need to be pruned. And that's particularly true in regards to your carbon footprint. What I mean by that is, of course, that regularly removing 
cold subscribers is going to be important. I'm going to expand on how to do that soon in our discussion on win-back campaigns. But first, let's cover off why you should do that. The reality is that the vast majority of the carbon footprint is spent storing and distributing your emails, regardless of whether the customer opens it. It's not unusual to find that over a year, only about 40% or so of your list actually opens and acts on emails that you've sent. And that means that 60% of your carbon footprint is being created by messages that are not even being opened. So pruning your list, removing non-interacting subscribers can represent a massive saving in your carbon footprint, but also a massive saving in your business expense. So let's take a look at Clavio, for example. If you had 100,000 subscribers, that would cost you about $1,200 per month. If only 40% of those people are in fact interacting with your emails, you could potentially prune out 60% of customers that have no interest in your email marketing, which means that you could reduce your list by about half and save $600 a month. In doing so, of course, what's going to happen is that you'll increase your open rate, improve your click-through rate, and send better signals to the email service providers. So no matter which way you turn, pruning your list regularly is a great idea. Something I think that's important to note about reducing the carbon footprint for your email campaigns is that this is absolutely not about doing less. It's not about doing less email marketing. In fact, in today's day and age of it being increasingly expensive to acquire new customers, Email marketing is once again coming to the fore as a critical profit generator for your business. So the last thing I want anyone to do is to start uh, being nervous about doing more and more email marketing. But with the tips I've outlined for you, what in fact you'll find is this is really about enabling you to do more, but having a lower carbon footprint impact on the world. If all you do is implement the suggestions I've made for you so far, what you'll probably find is you can double, maybe even triple the size of your email list and still have a lower carbon footprint than you do currently. Of course, in order to know that, what you need to do is benchmark. You need to understand where you are now so that you can see what impact your changes are having. And to get a snapshot of where your email strategy sits in terms of carbon footprint today, we've actually developed a free carbon footprint analysis tool for you. And I'll put a link in the show notes so that you can download it. But the best news of all, probably, is that all of the suggestions I've just made for you not only reduce carbon footprint, but also improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your campaigns, as well as potentially reducing your actual subscription costs. So it's well worth going through that exercise. So let's now get back into reviewing the critical email campaigns that you should be building out for your e-commerce business. And we're going to pick up today where we left off with regards engagement content and value content by looking at curated list campaigns. Curated list campaigns are pretty much what they sound like. They're aggregated content pieces that are presented in an email in a list form as a kind of digest of relevant content that will be of interest to your subscribers. It could be things like blog posts. If you if your brand uh, is a prolific creator of content and, and blogging, then you might find a monthly summary curated list email is a great way to raise awareness for all the content you're producing in your audience. 
Most brands, though, probably don't generate enough content to send a monthly curated list, in which case you might look at doing that quarterly instead. But curated lists don't have to only focus on your own blog content. It could be any number of things relevant to aggregate up for your niche. So it could be, for example, other people's news articles in the space. It could be a curated list of relevant products, especially handy around external sales events such as Mother's Day. In other words, gift guides. It could be a list of the top 10 tips for achieving a particular thing. For example, it could be a curated list of the top 10 email marketing campaigns for e-commerce. The important thing about curated lists is that they have to be relevant and interesting to the audience in order for them to be read and for the links that you'll be embedding to actually get clicked. And so that means that you need to take time and care to segment your audience properly. So giving you an example here, if your business happens to operate in the fishing niche, for example, if you were to curate a list of, say, the top 10 flies for catching salmon, that would be of great interest to fly fishermen that do river fishing. But it probably wouldn't be of any interest into people into deep sea fishing. And so you'd be sending a list to someone that's not interested in that content. And that's really one of the fundamental sins of sending out curated list emails. You want to be as specific as you can to meet the needs and interests of that niche, which means they're going to open it and act on it. And they're going to keep opening it and acting on it because they know it's of interest to them. If that sounds like a lot of work, then there are several services out there that can help you with this. And they work particularly when you've got a decent sized email list. One of those that I'll talk about is a service called rasa.io, R-A-S-A.io. And that's kind of like a content aggregator. Instead of sending email content to segments, it actually effectively creates a segment for each individual user. It's AI driven. So it looks at the clicks that they're making and the types of content that they are actually looking at and then keeps that and sends them more of that stuff to make it more and more relevant for them as they engage with the email. So it becomes a very powerful tool for really engaging your audience. So overall, curated lists are a very, very powerful way of ensuring that you're sending relevant information and engaging those people. Of course, the obvious question becomes, well, if, if segmentation is so important, how do we do it? And if you're using a system like Klaviyo or, or any of the major email service providers, you know that you can build a whole stack of kind of automated segmentations based on spend, based on recency of opening emails, based on the type of products that people have purchased. And that's all well and good. But really what you want to do is to kind of segment the behavioral side of your audience to understand what they like doing, what their pain points are, what the major factors are that will help determine what sort of content to send them. And a powerful tool to do that is, in fact, the next campaign type we're going to look at, which is surveys. Surveys can be a very powerful engagement tool, a very powerful feedback tool, and a very powerful tool to leverage in order to segment your audience. And the way you'd approach a segmentation-based survey is very, very different to how you would approach a feedback survey. In a feedback survey where you're trying to understand what products people, people like or if you're trying to get feedback on the, the quality of a product or the quality of your service, nine times out of 10, people won't give you their truthful answers when they think it can be tied back to them. So it's very, very important that if you do genuinely want to hear from your customers, and I suggest that you do on a regular basis, you want to make sure that that is, in fact, 
an anonymous survey. But when you're segmenting, that can't be anonymous. You need to be able to tie back the results and the choices the customer have made back to your database. Otherwise, you won't get you won't be able to segment them into the right place. You know, so for an example, if your brand is in the travel niche, the choices people make to say that they prefer, for example, budget camping and caravanning versus staying in premium hotels is a vast difference in terms of the type of products you can sell them. And of course, you want to know that so you can send them the relevant curated list content as well as relevant offers that are going to interest them. So to segment your list, you may want to roll out a survey email campaign early on in the journey with that customer so that you can get a jump on the type of content that's relevant to send them. When you step back for a moment from the anonymity of feedback type surveys, it becomes apparent that the tail end of the communication cycle around the survey is very, very different between the two types. Feedback surveys become a kind of group activity where, of course, segmentation surveys are very much a one-to-one type of analysis. And that makes closing off a conversation between the two types very, a very different approach. With regards feedback surveys, at the end of the cycle, what a lot of people tend to miss having spent all that time sending out the emails to get the feedback in the first place, is that they forget to send an email kind of wrapping that up overall to their audience. They forget to share the results of what they found with their audience, and they forget to thank their audience for having conducted that survey. That's a missed opportunity because sharing the results of your survey, sharing the learnings with your audience is an opportunity to engage them further in the life of your brand. It's also an opportunity to generate some reciprocity and share your thanks for those people that did participate with a discount offer, not least of which it's also an opportunity to generate some credibility for future surveys and show the worth that you have in the audience's feedback for those people that didn't participate this time. Hopefully then they'll be more encouraged to join in next time round. Circling back to segmentation surveys, this really needs to be a kind of intimate discussion between the brand and the individual person. And it needs to feel that way in the introductory email. It needs to be couched as a kind of we'd love to get to know you better type of question, leading them to outline their specific choices they would make for themselves. And then, of course, you need to follow up with a very specific response, noting the customer's preferences and explaining how those preferences will be taken into account when sending information and potentially future offers. Which leads us nicely into the product focus email campaign strategy. Product focus emails are our first kind of truly sales focused type email content. They spotlight one specific product. And it's important in the content of product-focused emails that we're using segmentation-based language and segmentation-based benefits that meet the needs of the niche. Like any kind of sales copy, the reality is that no one really cares that much what the features of the product are. They only really care about what the benefits to them are going to be. And for that reason, we do need to understand the customer a little bit better And it's useful to, before you send out your product focus emails, to conduct that survey so that we can find out a little bit more about the sorts of things that are going to be important to them. It's very important as well to weave in your brand story into product focus emails. You know, what is the positive impact created by the product? Why should the customer feel like a hero for purchasing? You know, we need to understand what the big picture of this product is all about. 
it's also important to understand that there needs to be a reason to have sent the product focus email. It's no good just to sort of send a buy my stuff type of email here. It needs to be instigated by an event. So maybe it's of seasonal relevance. Maybe it's a new release. Maybe there's a special offer running for it. Maybe it suddenly hit bestseller status. You know, has it just been featured somewhere in some major magazine or an article? Or has it just been featured by a major influencer in the space? There needs to be a reason. And that's going to be the hook, if you like, for actually consuming the content in your product focus email. Obviously, there needs to be a very, very strong call to action at the end of your product focus email in order to get the end result, which is people clicking through to your site, hopefully to purchase. And I would recommend also making an offer in the email as well. Talking about the occasion of sales events, of course, brings us to the next campaign type, which is sales event emails. And these are specific mini series campaigns designed to drive sales based on external events. For example, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Valentine's, Christmas or Happy Hamper Day. And I say Happy Hamper Day in a lighthearted way because the reality is you, you have an opportunity to use an internal kind of made up sales event for branding. And so if your business, for example, was to make and sell hampers, food hampers or, or whatever type of hamper it is, there's no reason at all why you couldn't have a hamper day every quarter or once a year, which is, becomes a big event that people look forward to. In terms of rolling out that into an email campaign, you really need to have at least three emails in, in the sequence. And so the first email of the sequence is going to be kind of like a build-up email. It's going to be letting people know that this event is going to start soon, what to expect, and to kind of generate some excitement around the event, whether it's, you know, whether it is an external event like Mother's Day and the fact you're simply uh, letting them know you're going to be having a sales event to support that, or whether it is your happy hamper day, in which case, you know, obviously a bit more context is going to be required. Then you're going to send a reminder probably the day before and most likely an email when the sale opens as well so that early birds can get in. Once the sale has gone live, you're going to want to start splitting your email campaigns according to the actions that people have taken. Have they opened that sale email? Have they, have they clicked through? Have they, in fact, purchased the item? If Obviously, if they've purchased, then we don't need to send them. We don't need to bug them anymore with any further emails. But if they haven't, we need to start sending them some very specific action-based emails to take them on to the next step in the funnel. And then you'll probably want to send a reminder about the deal ending and a last chance type of email just before the deal does come to an end so that for anyone that hasn't opened or hasn't taken action or has just forgotten about it and life's got in the way, we're now just reminding them that there's a short window of opportunity to take advantage of the deal. So make sure your sales event emails do have somewhere between three to five emails over the course of the event itself to capture as many sales and as many people as possible in that period. Probably one of the most valuable from a brand building point of view, but least leveraged campaign types amongst e-commerce brands is actually the thank you email campaign. Thank you is about showing gratitude. It's a very human trait, which, of course, humanizes your brand and it reciprocates loyalty from your customers. As human beings, we're accustomed to saying thank you and sending thank you cards when people have done something for us. And yet, for some reason, as brands, we forget to thank our customers. But it's, in fact, an opportunity to share milestones that we've achieved in the business and to reward our customers and our followers for being 
being part of that. You know, so maybe you've reached 10,000 members in, in your subscription plans. Maybe you've been able to plant 50,000 trees as a result of orders come through. Maybe you've removed 10,000 tons of plastic from the ocean. Whatever it might be, your customers have obviously enabled all of that. And it absolutely makes sense to share that as part of the brand building and to thank them and make them feel good about their contribution to that. Of course, it's then an opportunity to thank them with something, whether it's a gift card or whether it's, you know, um, a loyalty discount or whether it's a, a, a special promotion or something just to kind of put your money where your mouth is, if you like. But thank you emails are a very, very powerful part of brand building and really engaging that kind of goodwill with your customers. So I highly recommend that you send out thank you emails on maybe not a regular basis, but certainly frequently. And when you have anything of importance that you want to share with your audience. And then the last email campaign that we're going to talk about in this 10 critical campaign sets for e-commerce series is the win back campaign, probably one of the most vital campaigns overall. So as we discussed earlier, when we talked about carbon footprint, curating your list and pruning those people that are not interacting is a very important function in your email marketing strategy. But it's not that we want to get rid of people. Your email list is a very, very important asset. So before we remove people, we actually want to try and win them back. So you'll probably want to have your win back campaign running, if not continuously, at least every month. And you're probably going to want to look at people that haven't been active, haven't opened or potentially haven't clicked uh, within the last six months. So once again, the Winback campaign is going to be a, a short little series of emails designed to get people to click and take action so that they stay on your list. And the first one is going to be kind of like a, oh, we haven't seen you for a while or we miss you type of subject line uh, with an incentive in the email to come and purchase or interact with you in some way. If they don't interact, if they don't open that email, if they don't click through and take the action that you're expecting them to take in that email, then we want to follow up with, uh, do you still want to get our emails type of message? And then before unsubscribing them, if they still don't interact, you want to send them a kind of last chance message. Now, if you're a purpose-driven brand, this could be something like, you know, last chance to save the world. Make sure it's clear in the subject line that action is required. And then if they don't take that action to click the button or, or let you know that they still want to receive your emails, then you simply unsubscribe them and move them into an archive folder. Once having done that, you still want to send one final message that confirms that they have been removed and to give them a resubscribe link. So that if they do, if they haven't seen you, if they've just missed, they've been on holiday, whatever it is, and they've missed your emails, they can still get back on board if they want to. It's important to send that. But otherwise, we want to actively curate our list for all the reasons we talked about earlier. And this is a great way to give people a clear mission to get back on board with your brand. So there we have it. That wraps up our 10 critical campaign types for e-commerce that you should be rolling out inside your e-commerce brand. Don't forget that if you're interested in managing the carbon footprint of your email marketing, we have provided for you a free tool to kind of benchmark where you're at now. And you can find the link to that in the show notes below. And also, if you do need help implementing and expanding your email strategies, don't forget you can get hold of us at sustainableecom.com. In the next show, we're going to be talking to the amazing Sinead Roberts from What Not Naturals about how they built 
a 100% organic skincare brand. And I'm excited to share their journey with you in the next show. Until then, take care.